1: Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe.
0: All right, welcome in. It's the Believe and Patriots Podcast right here on the Believe Podcast Network. Patriots are four and five, getting ready for a big matchup with the Texans, looking to move to five and five, get back to five hundred, and start to make some noise in the playoff race. I'm Brady Farkas. You can follow me on Twitter at WDEV. Radio Brady. Our co-host is former Patriots quarterback, Heisman Trophy winner Doug Flutie, CFL Hall of Famer. Our producer is Aaron Wells. The podcast, as always, is brought to you by Bet Online. Bet Online is the only place to get your wagering done during the NFL season. With more people, unfortunately, being stuck at home, more disposable income, more time for you to gamble responsibly on your favorite football teams—from players and coaching prop bets to game spreads, over/under totals, in-game betting, pre-game betting—does not matter. BetOnline.ag is the place for you to go. BetOnline.ag. Hey, I'm taping this intro after Doug and I actually taped the podcast. So you're going to notice a little bit something weird today. Doug and I taped the podcast already. After the fact, I went and taped an interview with Seth Payne, former Texans defensive lineman. He appeared on my radio show. I wanted to pop that into this podcast. So you won't hear Doug and I talk about the interview, but the interview will be there kind of right in the middle of the podcast. So here we go to the podcast. What you're about to hear is a presentation of the Believe in Patriots podcast on the Believe Podcast Network. All the news, opinions, and insights on your six-time Super Bowl champion, New England Patriots. Now, it's your host, me, Brady Farkas, and Heisman Trophy winner, CFL Hall of Famer, and former Patriots quarterback, Doug Flutie. All right, welcome back in Believe in Patriots podcast right here. On the Believe Podcast Network, Brady Farkas, Doug Flutie. Doug, how are you? Pats might get to 500 this
1: Sunday. It's exciting news, isn't it? I did, were we tanking it two weeks ago or something? Yeah. What, what were we doing? Two weeks ago, Bill was two weeks ago, Bill was telling players to opt
0: out of the season so they would be bad. That's what people were saying.
1: No, they, uh, they want to go for the number one draft. No, you're always playing, you're always fighting, you're never out of it. One win turns it around. You have a chance to get to 500.
0: Hey, I didn't ask you, by the way, last week, how did it end up for you? I mean, I know that Notre Dame won, but what was it like in the battle of head versus heart for you broadcasting Notre Dame in D.C.?
1: I actually wasn't working the game, so I I wasn't working the game. Uh, I've been doing studio stuff for Notre Dame on their primetime games, Uh, but still watching it. It's weird because I know the Notre Dame kids better than I know the B.C. kids right now. (laughs) And I know the B.C. quarterback because he was a Notre Dame kid. Yeah, right. But I've really uh, gotten to know the new coaching staff at B.C. and uh, really think they're doing a great job. I mean, he's Jeff Halfley is doing an amazing job and spinning that thing around. They're fun to watch now. I really think they're on their way up.
0: I was Googling stuff about you at Notre Dame. I saw one blog who said they thought you were too harsh on Notre Dame and they didn't like your work. So who am I going after,
1: Doug? Are you too harsh on Notre Dame or what? <laughs> no, it, it's so funny. Um, and Mike Tirico said, "It's well, we're doing our job then because yeah. we get it from both sides. Both sides. Oh, you're a homer for Notre Dame. Oh, you hate Notre Dame. Oh, yeah. It's like it's so hard not to root for these kids because you interview these kids. Every week I watch them practice. I talk to them on the phone. I talk to, and you start caring about, it. you know, it's like you want them to do well. You really do. And then you get in the booth and then I'm just a quarterback. I'm, you know, doing the accent. You know, this guy, I should have gone there with the ball or do whatever. And, uh, you know, I just, I don't, I really take the approach of these are kids. They're, they're not professional athletes. And uh, if I, if I am hard on anyone and I'm very rarely hard on someone, it's coaches. It's a coaching decision or a a move, not on a kid, for sure.
0: Well, it's funny you say that because I'm glad to hear that because I get grief. So, like, I grew up a diehard Seahawks fan. I grew up in Seattle. I'm still a diehard Seahawks fan. The Patriots are my number two team. I rooted for the Patriots to lose to Seattle because I love the Seahawks that much. But I've lived in New England now for the last four years. I've covered the Patriots for the last four years. I've been to three of the last four Super Bowls at Radio Row, like we kind of talked about in the last episode, and you start to talk to people and get to, pe- you know, talk to people like you. And I've talked to Lofa Tatupu, who played for the Seahawks, but his dad, Mosey, was playing for the Patriots. Like, so you get to hear, you know, Mike Haynes I talked to. Like, so you just get to meet people from Patriots history. Yes, you begin to develop a a, a like for them. So I'm glad that you also go through this, because I got criticized, too, for being a
1: flip-flopper recently, uh, you know, saying I like the Patriots. No, you got to, you know... When it comes to actually looking at a game, though, you know, I mean, I, I honestly, I don't want, any, I don't want any player to be the guy that drops the ball, yeah. or fumbles, or crucial turnover, or the made the big mistake. I just cringe because I know I've been there. You know, you're that guy, so I, I root for them all not to make the big mistake. Uh, but you know, in this line of work, you just sit there and try to be objective and say, hey, you know. To me, it's as a quarterback, I could, it's a little easier because you can just X and O it and blame it on the you know, uh, the read went from here to here and it didn't happen, or he he missed the hot or whatever. Because it's it's pretty black and white, the stuff I'll yeah. talk about rather than an opinion.
0: Patriots are taking on the Texans. We're almost to Thanksgiving, Doug. I wanted to ask you this we always hear the football season starts at Thanksgiving. Do you do you see it that way? And I guess what I mean is. The Patriots are four and five. Have you ever been a part of a team that either got
1: much better or much worse after Thanksgiving? Or like, or is this kind of what they are? You're pretty much what you are. And I'd say 90% of the teams I played on were that way. My one year with the Patriots in 2005, um, we got better as the year went. And we were hitting our stride going into playoffs. The last part of the season, uh, that that team really – Got much better early on. It was kind of hit or miss. I don't remember what the record was as we went. But I know the second half, we were a much stronger team and had a good run going into the playoffs and ended up getting beat out in Denver. But uh, that's the one team where I can say we really improved at the end of the year.
0: I hate this whole conjecture, is it Brady or is it Belichick? Um, I obviously I think it's both of them, but can I say that this is one of Bill's most impressive coaching jobs to go with what they haven't had? They haven't had Brady. It has been through coronavirus, through a lack of preseason, through a lack of offseason mini camp, and to be here at four and five with a new quarterback and some of your top players injured, I gotta be pretty impressed with what's
1: happening now. Well, you're. I think even more so, you're impressed the last two weeks getting these yes. wins. Yeah. You know, to to be in a position where People are starting to talk about maybe tank the season for a draft. You know, you, it's over, and to be able to turn that off and and win two in a row and gain a little momentum and do do what they're doing right now. You don't have the most explosive receiving core in the league. Uh, you have a quarterback that's completely different from anything that you've had before, and you're finding ways to win and you're playing good defense and run the ball. So, uh, yeah, no doubt about it. It's a great great coaching job.
0: And we've developed a star receiver. Jacoby Myers is my guy now. Five more catches the other day. And he threw a touchdown. Aaron, let me get the call of uh, Bob Sosie, our guy, Bob Sosie, voice of the Patriots. Jacoby Myers, touchdown pass the other night. Three receivers wide to the left. Burke had the single step back. A lateral yes. to Jacoby Myers, the former NC State quarterback, looks to throw. Aaron, deep down the right side for Rex Burke. Yeah. dives and catches in the end zone. Touchdown, Patriots. What a call.
1: What a call.
0: You talk about being impartial, by the way. Zolak is the Zolak. most part- is the
1: most partial broadcaster ever. Have you met Zolak? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And you know what? On your local broadcast, go for it. I you know what? I love Jerry Remy with the Red Sox. Yeah. You know, it's it's you, you're primarily talking to a Patriots audience anyway. It's okay. Yeah, you know, the, the brilliance of that is a great call, the great area of the field to view those trick plays and take a shot at the end zone. It was covered. Yeah, it was. It was covered. Uh, he gets hit as he throws. A wide receiver, first of all, when you get a chance to run these plays as a wide receiver, they're throwing the ball no matter what. All right? I. It's, if a receiver gets – these guys have shown great discipline, and I think Bill and Josh McDaniels have, you know, back with Julian throwing it, or Julian Edelman, you know, the different passes. They've shown pretty good discipline at times of not throwing it because normally they will throw it no matter what. This was a ball that I thought – as a wide receiver throwing, you don't throw it because the guy's covered. Yeah, he put it in a great spot, and you've got a running back. Was it Burkhead? Yeah, Burkhead making a diving catch in an end zone with tight coverage and comes up. It was amazing. And Meyer got hit as he threw it and was falling out. Yeah, it was. Uh, it it was pretty fascinating and an amazing execution of a play. I liked the play
0: call because Myers used to be a quarterback. You've said on this podcast. You like trick plays. The team that runs the trick play first wins the game. You like the aggressiveness. Do you like trick plays that force guys into things they're not usually comfortable with though? Like Myers was a former quarterback, so I'm okay with it. If that had been a running back who threw it,
1: would you have liked it less? Uh, That particular one, definitely. That's not the type of a – running backs can run uh, your favorite play, toss, sweep into the boundary –
0: yeah, right, yeah, yeah of course, <laughs> right,
1: <laughs> toss sweep into the boundary and then pop up and dump it over their head to the tight end that slipped to the corner of the end zone wide open, right? Okay, that is something right in front of you, it's yes or no, and you can tuck it back under and get two yards or get a you know, minus one, whatever, and play safe. This was a ball that you're going to throw all the way across the field, you're gonna you might have a rush because you got to hold the ball for a second. There were a lot of elements, so you don't do that with anyone. <laughs> That's not hasn't been a quarterback. Julian Edelman, or in this case, My, Jacoby Myers. Did
0: you? Uh, were you on the Chargers at the point when LT was throwing touchdown passes? Were they doing yet in San Diego with LT uh, when you were there?
1: I don't. I don't recall. I knew. I knew we'd practiced them a hundred times. Okay. <laughs> I don't know if we had ever run one in a game with LT yet. I don't. I can't. It, it's not popping up that he threw one in a game while I was there. But uh, I remember –
0: Yes. When he set the record for most touchdowns in a season, he threw touchdowns that year. But I don't even remember if that was with you or Breeze or Rivers. Probably a Rivers thing. Um, Patriots, Texans, though, coming up this week. Romeo Cornell's the acting head coach for Houston, taking over for Bill O'Brien.
1: Was Romeo Cornell in Foxborough when you were in Foxborough? Yes, he was. He was around. Um, he left, I think, during my year. Actually, no. He wasn't when I was there. Okay. I knew Romeo from – just being around the Patriots a lot and being a new England guy. So I crossed paths many times, Um, but no, he, I think he had gone to the jets.
0: He went to the Browns and became the head coach there. Um, And then he ended up getting back, you know, Texas, maybe the chiefs at one point, he's part of a long line of failed Patriots assistants who have gone on to be head coaches. And, you know, him and Charlie Weiss at Notre Dame didn't work out. And Matt Patricia's not worked out so far in Detroit. But Joe Judge seems to be doing a good job in New York and then Brian Flores seems to be doing a great job in Miami. So maybe the narrative is starting to change. I guess I just ask you how hard is it to replicate what's in Foxborough somewhere else?
1: You need you need to do what is right for your situation. That's the problem. You can't just replicate it. You can't take that you can't you don't have Bob Kraft as an owner. Yeah. You don't have the facilities that the Patriots have. You have different facilities. You have a different GM that's drafting a certain way and has certain type of guys. And this is what you come into. And you've got to win in your first couple of seasons or you're gone. So you're not right. going to change the 50, I don't know how many guys they have now, 110 man roster with, <laughs> with COVID. Um, you know, it just, you have to be able to. Look at your situation, evaluate it, and go forward. Like Bill did this year with a different quarterback. You know, it's every every year is different. There's, yeah, you, know, you can try to have you have a, um, you have a protocol or a mindset and a way you do things in a Patriots way or a way you do it, but you have to be flexible and adjust on the fly. This year, particularly this year with COVID, the variables with players in, players out, uh, the the putting off of a you know, postponing games and not, and just being able to be flexible. That is not what NFL coaches are about. They are not it. flexible. So this has pushed a lot of coaches.
0: I also think it's really hard to be that kind of coach and develop that kind of system in today's NFL. It's just a different kind of player. And by and large, you need a different kind of coach. I think Belichick and Nick Saban get away with being the old gruff coach because they've won so much. They're grandfathered in because they've won so much if you haven't won anything it's very difficult to come in and just try to act like belichick or like Saban. i don't think players respond to that unless you have rings to back it up
1: no doubt about it that's a lot of credibility when those guys walk in the room and they know bill belichick is the head coach and you've won six super bowls and you've been to 105 of them um they know hey if i listen to this guy if i buy in good things are going to happen and that's the hardest part as a head coach, whether it's college level, pro level, anywhere, is getting new guys to buy into your way of doing things and getting the whole team on the same page. You know, when you have a coaching change at a college level and the underclassmen now are doing it his way in the upperclassmen or the old school guy or in pro ball where you're going to a team and this guy's coming. You got to get everyone to buy in. Everyone has to believe that if we do it the way we're being told, things are going to work out and positive things are going to happen. Once they do, then good things start to happen.
0: Not to toot my own horn, but I guess to toot my own horn. It's funny you say that, or ironic you say that, because I was following the Giants a lot this offseason because of the region of the country that I'm in. We also have to talk a little about the Giants. So Joe Judge comes to New York, and he creates this Belichick-style culture, and it's really hard, and they're having hard practices, and guys are running laps when they drop passes or whatever. And I thought, you know what? The young guys who are impressionable and are coming from college, they're going to buy in. That's what they're used to. The one guy who worried me was Golden Tate, a guy who has been around for a decade, has won a Super Bowl, has gotten a big contract. If the team is losing, Tate was the one guy I thought that could ruin the whole thing. And what did you see a couple of weeks ago? The Giants sent him home, didn't allow him to travel to Washington. He was disgruntled. I was like, I was right on the Golden Tate thing, and he might be a great guy, and you probably know him from Notre Dame. But he was the guy as the veteran. I could see not buying into what the
1: new tough coach was selling. I went out to I went out to San Diego at the end of my career, and um, you know, I was I had a mindset of how I what I knew the things I was good at and how I could be successful. And Marv uh, Turner north turner
0: yeah yeah north turner
1: yeah i'm getting old Norv <laughs> was my offensive coordinator i love norv and things went great and then we did a changeover there was a coaching change and then i've got to learn new ways of doing things and i've got a young uh overly excitable quarterback coach and we're doing these drills and i just remember one day we're out there during the off season and we're jumping rope and they got a stopwatch a clipboard and a notepad, you know, and we're taking notes of how many touches per 30 seconds and how quick can you do that? But I, I finally took the rope. I threw this, give me a ball. (laughs) Let's go throw. Let's go throw. I said, you know what jumping rope does for you? It gets you better at jumping rope. Give me a ball. And yeah, it's just, that's yeah. I was setting my ways.
0: Welcome back, it's the Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. Patriots have me excited again. Two weeks ago they were tanking, now they're on the, uh, the edges of the playoff conversation. Four and five, big matchup coming up with the Texans this Sunday. To get a little perspective on that matchup from the Houston side of things, is former NFL defensive lineman, 10 years in the league, Jaguars and Texans. It's Seth Payne. Seth, how are you? I'm doing well man. I'm uh, I'm looking
2: forward to this game in which Vegas has finally come to its senses and and removed the Texans as 3-point favorites uh on on Sunday evening and made the Patriots the favorites now. This this makes more sense in the universe in which we live.
0: Well, uh we're looking forward to it cuz again, the Patriots are on the outskirts of that playoff conversation. I guess from your perspective What's happened to the Texans? Because they shouldn't be as bad as their record indicates they are.
2: Except, okay, you know, that's, that's exactly correct given conventional wisdom of the last decade in the NFL, which is, hey, if you've got a good quarterback, your quarterback is good for at least six, seven, eight wins a year. And I think uh, a few teams are kind of testing that this season. And the problem is that, Deshaun Watson is, I think, a very good young quarterback. He still has some growing to do, but they're so bad in so many other aspects of their game that a good quarterback just can't overcome them. You know, and and if you look at some of Deshaun's passing numbers, it's the most consistent he's been in his entire career. He's spreading the ball around, but they just can't get in the end zone. So, you know, how good of a quarterback are you, or how well are you performing if you're, 22nd 23rd ranked scoring offense they're just not putting the ball in the end zone enough partly because their rush defense is so bad um and then on defense you know this is a team that blew that lead against the kansas city chiefs in the playoffs let the chiefs score seven straight drives and the defense didn't get any better in the offseason and you know jj watt got a year older it's just it's just it's not a good football team obviously but i think you know, sometimes a team will finish 2 and 14 or 6 and 10 and you might say, "Well, they're they're better than the record. They had some bad luck." If anything, the Texans have had good luck to make some of these losses one one score losses instead of blowouts.
0: The DeAndre Hopkins trade has made the Texans a, a laughing stock around the league nationally at least or for fans at least, but is that really the problem with this team or is it just one of several problems?
2: Um it is it's a huge problem. And and look Part of the problem is that, like we said with the scoring, um, DeAndre Hopkins just attracted so much attention, and safeties were always playing, you know, rotated over to him, over the top. Um, It just created so many opportunities for other people that he, he helped the offense produce above and beyond what his individual contributions were. And... This year, you know, one of the theories coming into it was, well, maybe Deshaun will be a better quarterback now because he doesn't have DeAndre as a safety blanket. You know, maybe he'll spread the ball around. And I think you could argue that... Deshaun has done that in some respects. He's become a better, more well-rounded quarterback because he has to distribute the ball more evenly. But what they're not doing is moving the sticks. You know, they're not they're not converting third downs well at all this year. Whereas last year, DeAndre really last year was a, a real chain mover. Um, you know, he became their go-to guy on third down where they'd throw it to him at the sticks, and he got a lot of first downs for the Texans. They're just not doing that anymore. So you take you take a guy who's capable of making a play like you did at the end of that Cardinals yeah. game on Sunday night, and you're moving him from a football team, you're, you're not going to be a better offense. I don't care what your underlying philosophy is, it's going to make you
0: worse. Former NFL defensive lineman Seth Payne with us here on the Brady Farkas Show, WDEV AM and FM and WDEV Radio Now we're radio host at Sports Radio 610 in Houston as well, so we tuned in to the Texans as well as anybody. Um, Have the Texans tried too hard to replicate what the Patriots do? I mean, I look at this matchup and the Patriots' footprint is all over the Texans. From Bill O'Brien as the former head coach and executive, to Jack Easterby in the front office, to now Romeo Cornell, it just seems like they've been chasing what the Patriots are. Am I right on that?
2: Yeah, you're you're 100% right on that. And I think that O'Brien did at least one thing right compared to some other Belichick disciples, he never tried to imitate Bill Belichick's personality. I think that you know whatever rough edges Bill O'Brien has are Bill O'Brien's rough edges hmm. since I'm guessing he was a child. You know he's got a he's got a temper that was temperamental by New England standards. It's he's he's that guy. Um, but he also had a more human side to him, I think, than Belichick shows in his press conferences, and we would see that side of Bill O'Brien. So I don't think he was trying to be over the top in doing what Bill Belichick did. But I do think that he was trying to replicate a lot of the things that Tom Brady did in that offense. And I think the, the thing that poisons a lot of coaches coming out of New England, and the thing that I don't think that they can understand when they are in New England and when they leave, is just how many simple, boring things that Tom Brady does that no other quarterbacks can do. And I think they sometimes get lulled into thinking, well, you know, it's the system that makes Tom Brady so good. Sure. Sure, Brady is smart and he but he knows how to run the system. When no you you cannot extricate Tom Brady from that system because nobody else, including Peyton Manning, including Drew Brees, including Aaron Rodgers is as good at diagnosing what a defense is trying to do and getting the offense into the exact right play. For that defense, this this notion of a game plan offense, where you can change from week to week like a chameleon, you don't even have to have a bread and butter play on offense because you're you're just going to attack that defense's weaknesses. That is not a New England offense. That is not a Josh McDaniels offense. That is a Tom Brady and a Tom Brady alone offense. And yet O'Brien would try to do that. And that's why they they, they tried Brian Hoyer. Yeah. He thought, hey, maybe Ryan Mallett because he, because he sniffed Tom Brady's jock for a while in New England. <laughs> no, you can't do it. You, you just can't do it unless you're Tom Brady.
0: You know, um, I think this game is going to be boring. I think the Patriots are going to win. But I look at the Patriots and I say, okay. They run the ball best. That's what they do. They're third in the NFL in rushing. Cam Newton can run the ball, and the Texans are last in the league in rush defense. I don't think the Patriots are going to win by blowout because I don't think they have the personnel to do that, but I do see 10-play, 86-yard drive, a bunch of rushes down the field. Do you see it being that easy to churn yards on the ground as I do?
2: Yeah, uh, and, uh, you know, if anything, last week the Texans held on for a little while and it looked like, hey, maybe the run defense um, won't be as bad as, as we think it could be. And then by the fourth quarter, Nick Chubb and Cream Hunt just went wild and doubled their rushing production in one quarter from the previous parts of the game. Um, they they just they don't have enough players. The Texans don't. Um, they don't play with discipline. The linebackers are really horrendous in coverage. The defensive backs aren't any better in coverage. They're they've got some serious issues on defense. Um, so the new defensive coordinator Anthony Weaver has tried every different way to disguise these things but it's just really hard to disguise so I think that this this could very much end up being a vintage Cam Newton game and when you look at the way he was able to run and move last week where he looks like he's getting to be more like himself, I think he's he's going to run wild versus the Texans. And this could get really ugly. This could be this could be one of those games where the Texans only have 20 minutes time of possession.
0: You know, Patriot fans are looking to see the Pats do something through the air, and I don't know that they'll need to this Sunday, but you look at their wide receiver productivity, no wide receiver except for Jacoby Myers caught a, caught a pass on Sunday night against Baltimore. They just aren't very good in the pass game is this a game where they could get right in the pass game
2: I think they could get close to right Um, (laughs) and and this is where the run defense really hurts the Texans again because if the Texans try to load up the box to help their run defense out and they have to play a bunch of man defense on the back end they just simply don't have guys that are capable of playing good man defense in the NFL. You know, Eric Murray, who is a, a safety that has turned more into a slot corner, looks a lot like a safety trying to play slot corner. Uh, Vernon Hargraves, a lot of these guys that are just castoffs from other teams are the starting players for the Texans. and there will be opportunities if if the patriots are running the ball well and the texans have to bring somebody up into the box to really try to stop the run that's where cam might really take advantage of the texans with a with a deep shot the the play action as well Um, has been really tough. So Conventional play action where the quarterback isn't a Cam Newton is bad enough for these Texans. The linebackers bite on it really hard. So when you add Cam Newton to the mix, uh, yeah, it's going to be really interesting.
0: So I have to get you out of here on this. I think you have one of the more unique stories in NFL history in that you were drafted twice. You were drafted by the Jaguars and then drafted in the expansion draft by the Texans. What's it like to say you were drafted twice? oh
2: um it was cool because the second time i was drafted the the texans went all out for the expansion <laughs> draft. they set up like a miniature uh, like a miniature madness madison square garden at the convention center in houston so they brought guy they had the nine guys i think there were nine of us that were there in houston and That year, a lot of teams were using the expansion draft to get rid of guys with higher salaries. So we actually, you know, as opposed to earlier expansion drafts, we had some bona fide starters going in the expansion draft. So they made a big party of it. And um, so I got to, like, you know, dress up in a suit, wait backstage. They announced my pick, and I walked out, and I was introduced by ZZ Top because they're, uh, they're they're a Houston band down here, and uh, it was kind of cool. The crowd was there, and everything, so it was almost like you got the treatment of being a first round draft pick when you, when you were getting picked eighth or ninth in the expansion draft.
0: And as I recall, first first game for the Texans was a win over the Cowboys, right? First game in history.
2: Yeah, yeah, we were huge, huge underdogs in that game, and we, uh, you know, Don Capers did a really smart thing, which is we scrimmaged the Cowboys that year during training camp, and he didn't have hardly any of the starters play, so we kind of played possum and let the the Cowboys roll all over us for a, a pretty long scrimmage. And I think they they came into that game way cockier than they should have been, so that was uh, that was one of my fonder memories. That was a really cool experience because the the city of Houston had just been starving for football. You know, I know I, if I would have told them that in two decades they've traded away one of the most beloved wide receivers that ever played in the city. Maybe they would have felt different, but we didn't know that then. We were
0: innocent. I'm going to get you out of here on a totally out of left field question because I was actually ranting about this the other day and I got into it with somebody on Twitter so I'm going to ask you. I I am a notorious, like, if a city, if a team leaves a city, I don't like to see that city wear the throwback jersey. Like, like I don't want to see the Nationals wear Expos jerseys. Like, I, I don't want to see Oklahoma City wear Seattle Sonics jerseys. If hmm. if the Tennessee Titans wore Houston Oilers jerseys, how would that sit with the people of Houston? Because I understand that the Oilers, or that the Titans actually wore the Tennessee Oilers for a year. I, I get that. It's not as egregious as other things, but I've always thought that the that the logo and jersey should stay with the city. So do you think it would be more appropriate for the Titans to wear Oilers jerseys or if the Texans someday wore Oilers jerseys?
2: That's actually you know what? During slow periods uh, sometimes that'll come up you know should the Texans buy back the Oilers colors um, to be able to use on their throwbacks there are a lot of fans that want them to and it's it's tough I really I, I more like the color scheme and everything than I care about like the Oilers history I'm I'm more inclined to say it's the new team rebrands and takes on a new name you know the, so the Titans have a completely different name pretty much a different color scheme, even though they've incorporated some of that Columbia blue in there, then, yeah, by all means, let the previous city... Take take on the colors. I'm I'm all for that.
0: All right, good. Well, I'm glad you are a logical person, unlike other people that I deal with.
2: So, oh, they, so they want they want it to be just no. You're completely dead to me.
0: Yeah, they just like well, no, other teams just like you know other cities. They're like, oh, we just like nostalgia. You know, the Colorado Avalanche are bringing out the Quebec Nordiques jerseys, and I'm like, if I'm a Quebec Nordiques fan from way back, that's not that's not fun oh. to me.
2: Yeah, yeah, okay, I get it. Yeah, I don't like that. I, that's a, that's a little bit of a spit in the face. I don't. Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't like that at all.
0: So that's why I'd want to see Oilers jerseys worn by a Houston franchise rather than by the Titans. But I know yeah. it was way out of left field, but I had to ask you so.
2: No, no. <laughs> yeah, well, it was the correct opinion you had, so Good. it wasn't
0: out of left <laughs> field at all. Seth Payne, former Texans lineman, uh, defensive lineman, former Jaguars defensive lineman as well, radio host, 610 Sports Radio in Houston. Uh, Seth, we appreciate it, man. We'll do it again. Hey, my pleasure. Anytime. Um, As far as an opponent spotlight, Aaron, just for fun, give me the opponent spotlight sounder here. Opponent
2: spotlight.
0: I really want to watch Deshaun Watson because I always want to watch Deshaun Watson. I think he's fun to watch. I think he's a great leader. I think he's got a great personality. Um, He had his best wide receiver taken from him this offseason when uh, when DeAndre Hopkins gets traded to Arizona. You as the quarterback, how do you feel – when your top weapon gets dealt or taken away, what's going through your mind right now?
1: You know, you you feel handcuffed. You feel uh, betrayed almost because you know it, it's and I'm, You saw what he's capable of doing. You know, I, for I keep going back. For me, it was Eric Molds and yeah, yeah. And I, I couldn't imagine if the next year they said, okay, Eric's gone and you've got to rebuild the relationship with these younger receiver another guy. And and people might be just as talented, but when you build a relationship and a rapport with a guy, Gronk and and Tom, you know, that he wants him to come out of retirement and go play with him down there, you know, that you trust this guy, especially you've been in Super Bowls together or fourth down situations, games on the line, all that. You, You need someone you can trust and you really believe in. And uh, it takes a while to get to that point, and it's frustrating. Now you, you have no choice; it's over, and you take what the new group is, and you go forward, and you try to build it again. Um, but it's like starting over.
0: You know, we saw DeAndre Hopkins' talents this weekend with Kyler Murray—the Hail Mary play, the Hail Murray—they're calling it—that helped him beat Buffalo. And what a—I mean—that's a great win for Arizona because it helps the Patriots and gives Buffalo a, a game back towards the pack. You had arguably the most famous Hail Mary of all time, the pass to Gerard Phelan. What was the year, 84? 84. Okay, so it's a game against Miami. And I, I got to ask you, it's probably among the most iconic college football plays in history. When it happened, did you know it was going to be as famous as it was?
1: No, we didn't. Um, we had completed one at the end of the half against Temple earlier in the year. Hmm. And uh, we threw that one at the end of the game. And going into the play, we thought, you know, you, you got a real shot here. You know, it, it didn't seem like a wing and a prayer. It seemed like we had a shot. Yeah. And then all of that, that happens, right? So it happens. Celebration in the locker room, on the bus, the flight home. We land at Logan Airport. And there's like thousands of people at Logan Airport. Now, this is Boston College football. This isn't the New England Patriots. It's not the Bruins. It's not the Red Sox. It's Boston College football and it's a pro sports town. And there's thousands of people at the airport. That's when it hit us. This is a little bigger than we thought. This is about a two pounder. You know, this is, <laughs> this is carry its away. This is gonna last, what, what ended up, what made ours so big was it was Thanksgiving weekend. It was mm. the most watched game of the year. It was the little guy versus the big bad guy that everyone hated. Like people loved to hate Miami at that time, right? Yeah. If you weren't a hurricane fan, The rest of the nation couldn't stand them. So everybody was pulling. So all that went into making it bigger than life. And, uh, you know, I said when Aaron Rodgers started completing them every week that it just makes it obsolete.
0: (laughs) Does that play – do you like that play still, or is it like a band who has one great hit and they get tired of playing it? Now, you have more than one great hit, but I would say a lot of people do know you from that play. Do you get tired of that play?
1: Uh, I don't get tired of the play. It always brings a smile to my face. Gerard Phelan and I are good friends and still have been for years. And uh, on the day of the, the, the anniversary every year, I'll text him, hey, nice catch. He says, hey, nice <laughs> throw. Yeah. So, yeah, it's just funny. There's a Heisman sitting here over my shoulder right now that had something to do with that. And all, you know, all the things that went into it. I will never, but what you want is people to realize that you did other things. I was the first quarterback to throw for 10,000 yards in college. I Mm -hmm. won the Heisman that year. I was third in the balloting the year before. The Heisman was already a lock at that point. I didn't win it because of one play. Yeah, Yeah. that's the stuff that that you want people to, to remember. But you know what? The alternative is being forgotten. So shoot, let them remember the play.
0: Um, Aaron, I want to end the podcast today on one thing that I had for Doug that I thought was interesting. So on the last podcast, we had Kamar Aiken on former uh, Ravens wide receiver and had on uh, and former Patriots receiver too. Aaron, if you have it, let me know. I want to hear Kamar Aiken number five, Doug. He was talking about wide receivers and the Patriots ability to develop wide receivers because he played there a little bit. So Aaron, let me hear Kamar Aiken number five.
1: In the past, I've never seen New England, to be honest, use bigger body type receivers well in their system. It's always been the smaller guys that that have been more efficient and more productive in their system.
0: So he was saying that in response. I had asked a question on my radio show about Nikhil Harry and how long of a runway do we give Nikhil Harry? And he didn't have any targets the other day even. And he said, look, I can't speak to Harry directly because I'm not watching the team every week. But... I have never seen the Patriots develop and use big-bodied wide receivers well. He went on later to say smaller receivers had worked well for them because they're such a quick passing game that it allows them to get into tight windows quicker and et cetera, et cetera. Um, Had you ever even noticed that or given any thought to that?
1: I had never given any thought to that. But once he said it, it made sense to me. Um, When the Patriots get in the red zone and the big body receiver is an asset, who do they go to? They're tight ends. They yeah. always had their two tight end system where they're working. They, they formation it where Gronk was the guy running the fade or tight ends running the back line of the end zone. Or, so the tight ends became their big body throws. Hmm. The receiver throws become the little option routes and change of direction. You don't see a lot of fade routes with the wide receiver from the Patriots. You see the fade routes with the matchup on the tight end. And that, yeah, that's the first thing it triggered in my head. Um, so maybe there is something to that. Tom loved the empty set, quick passing game, spread them out. And I, the stuff I did in Canada, the, wide, the outside receivers got frustrated because the inside throws were so easy that uh. you, you take those options, bang, 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 bang. In fact, we just had a reunion of watching one of our Grey Cup games, and we took our wide receiver who – was probably fifth in yardage that year receiving out of the group, but just a phenomenal talent. And for the Grey Cup, we moved him to the backfield, motioned him and ran the inside corner routes. And in the inside, he had a ridiculous day on Grey Cup day and was just had the game of his life. And so it's what you do with those receivers. And they've always liked that option game with the inside guys and the crossers and the pivot routes and the option routes. So as he says that, it, it makes a lot of sense.
0: So one of two things that I think needs to happen moving forward for the Patriots, they either need to, they're going to have a different quarterback, either Cam's still going to be here, they're going to have somebody else, they're going to need to develop other wide receivers who can be outside threats that are more vertical, that are more physical, or If they want to play like they've always played, they need to get tight ends that can play in the way they've always played. Like something has to give. They either have to get the receiver or they have to get the tight end position back to some
1: semblance of what it was, right? True. Uh, And the tight end coming back. uh, Although with Cam at quarterback, is that the stuff he does well? You know, Is is that the stuff he does well? And I would think first thing that triggers there is, I think Cam can be good at that one-on-one outside, big receiver thing, running a fade back shoulder and put it over the top back shoulder and put it over the top. You can do that. You don't need a big arm to do that stuff. You need great ball placement, whether it's on that back shoulder with touch or is it up the field and being, and I think cam can do that stuff. Um, And so maybe they just have to work at it and develop it. Um, They've, you know, they've always used tight ends in that position in that role in the past.
0: I leave you with this. I was amazed by this. I was talking to uh, Eric Eager over at Pro Football Focus recently, and he tracks all the data and everything, and he said that quarterbacks need to be able to get rid of the ball in two and a half seconds or less. That's how quick you want it to be. Was that the case when you were playing? Because I seem to recall Dan Marino taking a snap and bouncing back there for like 10 seconds. It didn't seem like that. Was it always that quick?
1: It really was always that quick. But big plays come. And, and I say when I'm watching a game and I see a quarterback duck under and slip up into the pocket and step forward, I'm like, oh, yeah, big play coming. Because mm. now he's held on to the ball longer than two and a half seconds, yeah. near that three-second plus, and he's got clear vision down the field, and all of a sudden there's the big play running and all that. When you take your drops, three-step drop, ball is out in 1.4, 1.6. Five step drop, setting firm, like one, two, three, four, five ball, is still can be under two seconds to two point one. Five in a hitch is two and a half seconds. We we totally eliminate a full seven. The, the seven step drop became non-existent. You didn't do it anymore because it was a two two point seven throw or even longer for that deep in route. When you hit those deep in routes, it's not setting your back foot and gone. That becomes a two seven throw. That becomes hitch up, hang for a half a second, and then gun it in that window. And that's when the quarterback savvy in the pocket, it's just a little slide to the right or left. or That, that comes into play because those edge rushers are so good. The pass rushers today are amazing. It is, I mean, you might push it to 2.7, but 2.4 was, you're holding the ball over 2.4, you're going to get hit.
0: You know, we talk about, reading coverages and all this and that. And I'm like, if you're getting rid of the ball in 1.2 seconds, what is there to read? It's like, take the snap, take a step,
1: boom. Pre-snap, baby. Pre-snap is so important. Reading the rotation, the rotation of the safeties. Corners can lie. The corner can be in press coverage on the snap of the ball and bail and have deep yeah. third. He can be off at 12 yards but still be covering the short flat. The safeties have to get to where they're going. They rotate down the, the way they rotate one way or the other or step forward on the snap. So they're the ones that decide that guy is definitely one-on-one. And, and on the snap of the ball, you make that decision. It's one-two-three ball. You've already made that read that he's one-on-one on the rotation of the safeties primarily.
0: Quarterback position so complex. We're going to see a really good one <laughs> on Sunday. Patriots and Texans kickoff is 1 p.m., I don't know my score yet, but I've got the Patriots winning. I've got them getting back to 500. i I've got them fighting for a playoff spot, and we'll see what happens there. Aaron Wells is our producer. You can follow him on social media. Find, for him, uh, find him on Twitter. Doug Flutie, CFL Hall of Famer, former Patriots quarterback, Heisman Trophy winner. You can follow him on Instagram or on Twitter. Search for Doug Flutie. I'm Brady Farkas. You can follow me at WDEV Radio Brady. Doug, until next week. Aaron, until next week. Go Pats.